Thanks for listening to this podcast of Trending with Timory from the Relevant Radio app. Anything you share in terms of episodes, whether it's texting it to a friend, posting on social media, helps to build up the kingdom for God to help confront the challenging issues we face as a culture, but with joy, with hope, and with an eternal perspective where our faith collides with everyday life, bringing eternal principles to help us live our life joyfully. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio. Great news over the last couple of weeks. On the front regarding abortion, a study came out a couple weeks ago reporting that roughly 32,000 babies have been saved since Roe versus Wade. There's been an uptick looking at the averages between 2005 and the overturning of Roe versus Wade in 2022. And there have been 32,000 additional babies on average. So I'll share with you more of the news on that. Why is it? Because you may have heard a lot of the stories that more women, or should I say just as many women maybe, are having abortions because of the overturning Roe versus Wade and the haste access abortion. I'll give some details and background to what's happening. It's really encouraging news, and it's encouraging because it gives us a very clear direction. The pro-life movement has known strategically that we need to stand by for helping to see abortion decrease in our own communities. You're listening to Trending with Timory here on Relevant Radio. More on that news in a moment. Father Tim Grumbach, who is the chaplain at Bishop Alamany High School in the Archdiocese of Los Angeles, is joining me today on Trending, and it's that season of Advent. And Father Tim, I know you and I over the years have loved to dive deep into the spiritual significance of this season. Today, we're encouraging you to take on a companion this Advent, and one of whom can be great is St. Joseph, who was that protector and guide for Our Lady and for the the Christ child. And so looking at him as part of that Advent preparation, that season of anticipation here on Trending, also in a few moments, Happy Feast Day. It's the Feast Day of St. Nicholas. I hope you put your shoes out to see what St. Nicholas might bring you or your children. And we will dive into some of what we know about his story in just a little bit. Father Tim, welcome back to Trending. Oh, it's so good to be back. It feels like it's been a little while, but maybe it's just there's been so much happening here at Alamany. We got finals coming up in a couple of weeks, and it's my first time as a teacher giving finals. And so I, I think I, I don't think I'm as nervous as my students, but uh, there's a, there's a lot to look forward to in just these few weeks of Advent. A very short Advent too this year, just three weeks. I know. I actually kind of hate how short it is. I feel rushed with everything. I almost wanted to take it upon myself to start Advent early. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, Father Tim, I have really enjoyed over the last 10 years or so kind of picking a companion uh, to look to during the Advent season, especially looking to people such as John the Baptist, who prepared the way for our Lord, uh, the Blessed Virgin Mary, even Elizabeth, and others, one of whom being St. Joseph. And I wanted to dive in with you into this topic of St. Joseph and entering into that journey toward Advent and the hope that was a primary part of St. Joseph's journey. Yeah, I I don't think there's a better companion uh, than St. Joseph on the journey of Advent, and uh, especially the way that um, you know, being a man of Israel, uh, that's that's how we have to know Joseph. Like he seems so hidden in Scripture because we don't hear any words of his. 
but I think all the great saints and mystics recognize in Joseph that, you know, as a man of Israel, he was, he knew the words of scripture. He pondered them day and night that he would have been reading them and teaching Jesus how to read them as strange as that might seem to say. Uh, but uh, who could have had more influence on Jesus, especially in the early time of life than Joseph himself. And to see him primarily in that perspective as a man of Israel, straight out of the first Psalm is somebody who ponders the law day and night. And then in the midst of any kind of dryness in life that you're like a tree by running streams. And so I I like to think that Psalm one is about Joseph. And so that's what makes him such a great companion during what can feel like a dry time uh, of year leading up to Christmas. I keep thinking of his and how his story and how we know very little of his speech, but we see him as a man of action. I like to think of him as a man with a immensely sacrificial heart. He had enough hope in the kingdom to come in the expectation of the Messiah to follow God's plan. And even somewhat blindly, even though the angel Gabriel appeared to him, he had to have faith in that, but not just faith in the unknown and the misunderstood or not understood at all, but hope in what was to come, hope in the entire plan of salvation history. And I think his hope is seen as a model for us and how to anticipate the coming of God, but with that, to also have a hope that preserves Christ within our own hearts and our own communities as Christ was preserved by St. Joseph, even when St. Joseph didn't fully understand the mystery of what he was preserving. Yeah, he can walk with us on a journey to come to know God better um, and to know God, rather to love God for um, not just what we know about God, but what we don't know about God. I was just chatting with some of my freshman uh, honors religion uh, students and uh, we're talking about De Verbum and you know the word of God, the the document from the Second Vatican Council about divine revelation. And I gave them their final essay to write. And they said, what if I just write that words cannot express my love for God? And that's it. I'm like, well, I probably won't give you a full grade, but what if you wrote an essay to me about how uh, we love God more so for what we don't know about him, because there's infinitely more we don't know about God and what he's done for us than what we do know that he's done for us. And they're like, uh, what? (laughs) And and so I think St. Joseph is actually a really great intercessor for us when we are standing before a God that we know some things about God, but there's infinitely more that we don't know about him and the depths of his love for us. And so St. Joseph is a companion on that journey, I think. When I look at the titles of St. Joseph in the litany of St. Joseph, we hear many things such as establishing his authority and that he comes from the Davidic line. He's light of patriarch, spouse of the Virgin Mary, guardian of the Redeemer. But one of the elements that I've always loved is it his role with regard to being a part of the domestic church, his role mm-hmm. in being a part of that home, the pillar of homes that we see that all families are meant to look at as this icon yeah, and I've always loved St. Joseph in that sense of he was the leader of the Holy Family. They followed him. He led them into Egypt. He uh, led them to Bethlehem. And uh, he may not have felt as holy, right? It, we can kind of joke about it, like to be in the family with the Blessed Virgin Mary and the Immaculate Conception and to be in the family with the incarnate second person of the Holy Trinity. St. Joseph was the least holy man in his family. 
And yet he was still given that responsibility as a father and as a husband to lead the Holy Family into dangerous places. But again, to be that, uh, that tree that is by running waters, that even in the dryness of that danger, that he knew that God was leading him so that he could lead Mary and Jesus. And so to see his role in the domestic family, even now, the domestic church, even now, is so important. That's why the popes that have gone before us are telling us that he is a the patron of the church, that he is a father of the church, an earthly father of the the physical body of Jesus, the body of Christ, but also he is a an earthly father for us of the uh, the spiritual body of Christ as the church. Something you said a moment ago really stood out to me, and you mentioned Saint Joseph. If you really think about it, is the most unholy member of the Holy Family. Not that he wasn't holy, but I look at those titles he holds in the litany of Saint Joseph that the Church has passed down over the centuries. We refer to him as head of the Holy Family, or we refer to him as glory of domestic life, for family life, or cornerstone of families. There's this authority. There's this strong role he has to play. But if you see that, even in filling that role, he was the least holy. Yet he was the one meant to guide and govern and protect the family. And it helps me maybe to think about how often I hear from men who will talk about like, oh, I'm the least holy a member of my family. You know, my wife is far more religious than I am. She does a great job educating the children or the kids are so simple and innocent. They get it. And how relatable in some respects, Father Tim, can you draw out that connection of how relatable St. Joseph is for men who maybe feel like they're not necessarily the lost sheep, but the one that's kind of just hanging along when it comes specifically to the faith? Right, absolutely. And I would say, especially for those men who feel that they are not the holiest one in their family, but they're striving for it. Uh, if, if there's a, a man in the family trying to lead his family without even striving for holiness, then he's going, it's going to be a very painful experience for him and for his family. But I have so many good friends who are fathers that uh, I think they, I see a lot of holiness in them in their recognition of how their family is holier than they are. And yeah, they have their faults and their failures and and I love them more because of it, uh, that they still invite me into their family and to be a part of their lives. But then to see them, that they, they know they're, they're, what they're missing, uh, but they're striving for it. And so I would suggest that you know, those men who, who know that they're, they're missing something, but they're striving for it, to look to St. Joseph, not right, not because he was somehow unholy. Um, he's st- still a very holy man, one of the holiest saints ever, but to, that he still understood he was not the holiest one but he was still given a responsibility and an authority uh, of, of his family. Not that he dominated over Mary and Jesus, but that he was the one that could stand before society and say, this is my family. And there is nothing that is going to happen to them if it doesn't happen to me first. So maybe that in itself, that last line there is important for a father uh, asking St. Joseph's intercession is that there's nothing that's going to happen to my family that doesn't happen to me first. And in, in that posture before your family, uh, you'll become a saint. You mentioned sometimes fathers will try to lead without growing in holiness first and how it can lead men, I think, especially fathers, to flounder in being the leaders of their home. And it makes me think of an email I received earlier this summer, someone who had been listening to the show and wrote me quite angry about a topic I had been discussing on air. And the email was very belligerent. And I'm just reading it and reading it and reading it. And my gut just said, this isn't about this actual topic. What this email is about is how this man, this husband and father, is 
trying to provide for his family in all of these ways materially, but has completely lost sight of providing for them spiritually. Mm-hmm. And I came down, I remember I reading the email, we were traveling up north. I was reading the email to my husband in the car and I was working on my response. And my response was somewhat harsh, uh, in mm-hmm. harsh in a good way, I think. And I remember thinking, oh man, either this guy's never going to respond. I'll never hear, mm-hmm. I'll never hear from him again. He's going to come back really angry. And I'll never forget, I wrote the email and I went, you know, I really feel called to be very blunt and honest and somewhat harsh and challenging to this man and I came back really just saying you know what you're I get what you're upset about but I'm going to ask you if we can just set that aside and see the bigger picture of how important it is that instead of focusing on all of this material side of life which is very important and the weight of the world rests on your shoulders as a father yet at the same time what your kids need at the end of the day that is so important is your spiritual strength, your right. spiritual leadership, your spiritual provisions. All of that is so fundamental to what your children need from you. And it sounds like you're busy and distracted in a way focusing on the material dimension because you're trying to compensate to give almost a secular lifestyle to your children rather than giving a faith-based lifestyle to your children. And so I told him, I said, are, are you praying every day? And if you're struggling, are you sacrificing? Are you fasting? So I challenge him, start fasting on Wednesdays and Fridays. That could be the whole day. That could be part of the day. And I said, I know this sounds intense, but this is actually the tradition of asceticism that's been handed down by the church. And you as a spiritual leader of your father, even though it's difficult, are called to offer that for your children prayerfully and to set that example. And I was amazed, Father Tim, because when I thought of that, I pointed to the model of St. Joseph. I said, consecrate your life to St. Joseph. And I recommended Father Calloway's Consecration to St. Joseph. Great book. And and he wrote back and he was so grateful, completely disarmed. And mm. the conversation continued in a very positive way. But I share that story because it reminds me of St. Joseph. He had, Father Tim, the weight of the world on his shoulders yeah. to preserve, in a certain respect, the secrecy and the innocence of Our Lady, to preserve the glory and holiness of his son, to provide for them. And I think that that's the pressure every father is under today, but he a lot of dads just don't quite get that that's that role. Yeah, and I'd like to speak into the hearts of those fathers who feel that maybe they've failed um, or are really struggling and, and not because of their own fault, but just the, 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 that weight of what feels like the weight of the world and not being able to provide for your family that somehow you are less than St. Joseph, somehow you are less than the father that God made you to be. Uh, I just want to speak to those hearts and, and, and say, you know, your, your spiritual leadership is still intact. Even if the world is fighting against you and you feel that you've failed in many ways, your spiritual leadership is still intact. Look at St. Joseph who had to abandon his home to keep his family safe. You know, certainly on the road, he would have wondered, what, where have I failed? Why, why has this happened to me? Did I do something wrong? And his faithfulness kept him going. So please do not give up if you're facing a very real material need um, and the, the temptation to think that you've failed as a father in that sense but that your spiritual leadership must stay intact. 
That's Father Tim Grumbach here on Trending with Tim. I want to encourage you to pray the Litany of St. Joseph leading up to Christmas. Really ponder the life of St. Joseph, that season of waiting, that season of the journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem with his pregnant wife. Ponder his life. There's much to be gained in thinking about those who were there at the Christmas story, those who are a part of the nativity. I'm posting a link to the Litany of St. Joseph on social media as well. Just follow me at Timmery. That's T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E, where I've also tagged Father Tim Grumbach as well. We're coming back. Happy feast day. It's St. Nicholas feast day. If you don't know it, it's time to dive into the truth of the connection of how St. Nicholas is Santa Claus. So stay with us. We'll be right back with Father Tim Grumbach to dive into the man, the myth, and the legend of St. Nicholas and those things we know about his life and what we can glean from it. We'll be right back here on Trending. great to be with you. Our toll-free line is 888-914-9149, and it's sponsored by Catholic Order of Foresters Life Insurance. Get into the Christmas spirit with Advent carols of comfort and joy from Relevant Radio, featuring the incredible talent of three young choirs take who take the musical journey to Christmas and even travel through a brief history of carols with our free daily videos. Get all of these beautiful, joyful carols every day of Advent. Sign up at relevantradio.com slash carols. That's relevantradio.com slash carols. Father Tim Grumbach, who's the chaplain at Bishop Alamany High School, is with me today on Trending from the Archdiocese of Los Angeles, also serving on many of the youth-based programs such as Life Teen, Net Ministries, Focus, Young Catholic Professionals, and others. Great organizations to get involved in if you're in the that college, young adult, or even teen age range. Be sure to check those out. Father Tim, coming up this weekend, I'm actually really excited. I get to see you this weekend at a huge event in Los Angeles, California, the Christmas, or should I say Advent Catholic Makers Advent Market that's being put on. Tons of speakers will be there, yourself, you and I will actually be speaking together. Michael Gasparro, who's a regular guest here on Trending, will actually be, he's a musician, he'll be performing uh, We'll also hear stories of the saints, such as St. Nicholas, St. Juan Diego, and Our Lady of Guadalupe. It's a story corner for children. I'm really looking forward to the event. Can you tell me a little bit more about it as well? Yeah, I'm really excited about it. A a friend of mine asked me to do it, and her initial attention was um, that it would be you and me uh, kind of sharing together, and uh, which we love to do, and we don't get to do it in person nearly as much uh, as as uh, as we used to, and uh, and when she wasn't sure if she was going to hear back from you, and and she was like, well, Father Tim, I guess you could do it by yourself. I'm like, oh no, we ha- we have to get Tim Marie, <laughs> and so um, so I'm super excited that we'll be able to share uh, the stage together and uh, and be able to do what what we love to do, and uh, and bring a lot of uh, people kind of into a, a live experience of this, yeah. 
especially with Advent. The topic's all about Our Lady, Advent, living out the season of Advent. And we'll dive into Our Lady, who's a great companion during the season and how necessary it is for preparing our hearts, preparing our souls for the coming of Christ, which is what we're discussing today with St. Nicholas as well. But if you wanted to learn more about that, check out catholicmaker.com. That's catholicmaker.com, a wonderful Catholic Advent Market right there in the heart of Los Angeles. I'll be excited to see you, Father Tim, there. Um, Let's talk about St. Nicholas. So the man, the myth, and the legend. Earlier this week, I posted a episode I did earlier in the week about how to celebrate St. Nicholas Feast Day. It's not too late. You can still put your your shoes out, kids. Just let your parents know. You never know what St. Nicholas will bring you. We're having a St. Nicholas Day party with my uh, nephews tonight. I have a Nicholas for our godson. So it was a special new tradition that we are implementing. We're making gingerbread cookies. I was going to make them in the shape of Saint Santa Claus because that's part of the tradition of <laughs> Europe for Saint Santa Claus's uh, Saint Nicholas feast day. But then I realized I have every cookie cut out, but so it'll be the oh, no. spirit of, of Santa Claus uh, cutouts. I'll have to get one for next year making a mental note. But as we have this season of celebration around Santa Claus and giving gifts, and maybe you grew up with the tradition of putting your shoes or stockings out. We put our stockings out on the eve of St. Nicholas Feast Day. A lot is lost in knowing the real stories behind St. Nicholas and how we grew to this great tradition of gift giving on Christmas. Can you enlighten us to a little bit more of his story? And we'll kind of interweave some of the neat details in here. Yeah, it's uh, really a, a showing of like this selfless giving of knowing that you know the, the money that we have, the, the materials that we have, uh, that, that in a way they don't belong to us. It's how can we first be looking to, uh, to give of ourselves uh, before we take care of ourselves in a certain sense, right? We, we do have to provide for our families if we have responsibilities, but, uh, but looking to someone like St. Nicholas who had gained this inheritance from his parents who were wealthy, um, he was aware not just of his own needs, but of the needs of the community around him. So he's always outward looking. And he met this family where the, the father had just come into rough straits and had lost so much money that he couldn't afford to pay the dowry for his three daughters to get married. And when it came time to uh, to try to get them married, he just simply did not have enough. And he was afraid that he would actually have to you know, sell them off into slavery, which, you know, sounds really harsh to us. But at that time, it would have been almost better to do that for the sake of the family than uh, to not have them married off, I guess. And so a very different time, a very different experience. But uh, but St. Nicholas saw this happening and said, I have to do something about this, this inheritance, right? I got it from my family, but it doesn't belong to me anymore. It belongs to this man and his family. So uh, over about three nights, he would sneak up to the house and throw in the money uh, to the house, just enough for a dowry at a time. And uh, this led to great rejoicing on the father's part. And when it came to the third one, uh, St. Nicholas kind of waited because the, you know, the man was looking and he didn't want to be seen doing this. And, uh, and so you know, one night went by, two nights went by. And finally, you know, you can almost imagine this is like the tradition of children staying up all night to see if they could catch Santa Claus coming down the <laughs> chimney. <laughs> that uh, the, a version of the story says that he climbed up on the roof and dropped the money down through the chimney. But on his way down off the house, the, the man, the father caught him and chased him down to thank him. And he didn't want any of the thanks. 
He just wanted to be selfless, this self-giving love that, you know, he could have used this money to take care of himself, but he saw a greater need. And when he was approached by the, the father, he said, oh, no, no, please don't thank me. You know, thank God. You know, God is the reason we have air to breathe and food to eat and love within our hearts. And I just love that so much. The, the air to breathe, the food to eat, and the, and the love within our hearts is all something we should be thanking God for. So he didn't want to do it to be thanked. He didn't want to do it to be impressive or to be affirmed. He did it because he saw a need and he wanted that man and his family to know they were loved by God. And so sometimes the littlest things that we do are the way that God loves other people through us. And that's the love that people deserve. Not, not our desire to be impressive or affirmed, but our desire that God love these people and be loved by these people. It's been making me think a lot, Father Tim, about how St. Nicholas was Christ's servant. That's what, what inspired him to give these very generous gifts. And that's what is the inspiration behind the gift giving in both Christian and secular societies surrounding the celebration of Santa Claus. Like he is St. Nicholas. He's a saint. He was so close to Christ. He bore the light of Christ to the world, especially moments of despair. When you look at the story of him providing a dowry for these three daughters for the poor man who was thinking about selling them off. I mean, you connect the dots, what he would be selling them off into these three young girls. And that is a point of despair for a father to have to enter into that being the only option. And God intervened in the faith-filled heart of St. Nicholas to provide that dowry. And so there's that celebration of uh, chocolate or coins and money. I know my daughter received in her stocking this morning little St. Nicholas coins, which we've been fighting all day because she wants to eat all of the chocolate because they're <laughs> chocolate coins. We've had a rough day over the chocolate, I'll put it that way. An almost three-year-old just doesn't quite get that you can't eat it all day. Um, but that's what grandparents are for, right? I can just imagine my mom's coming tomorrow and the, the, the fight will have suddenly disappeared for the day. Yeah. Let's not um, forget uncles too. <laughs> yes, yes, very much so. Uh, but as I've been thinking about his story, it's made me really challenge myself and ask mm. myself in this season of Christmas, we are called to give sacrificially because God gave his only son to us. He gave everything to us. He gave his very self to us. We had the example of St. Nicholas who was giving his own dowry away to people to bring them into the light of Christ and take them out of despair. And so the question that, that I have for myself is, Am I giving sacrificially? Is I'm picking up gifts for people? Is it all about me and how it makes me feel and buying the, the best gift or just buying what that person wants or what I think they want? How can I really work on transforming, working on my own heart this Christmas season to not be distracted by the commercial, but see the authentic original meaning, Father Tim, of sacrificial giving in, in the gift giving of the season? Yeah, such an important question to ask is how can I give sacrificially? But I, I think a question we also have to ask ourselves is why would I do that? You know, the world would ask that, especially during this consumerist time of Christmas, is why would you give away rather than want to get? And uh, a story that, you know, probably another one of the most famous stories about St. Nicholas, maybe embellished a little bit, uh, that ties to this. I don't, I don't know if people really make a, a connection between these two stories, but he was also a bishop at the Council of Nicaea that was determining uh, how to express that Jesus is consubstantial with the Father, that Jesus himself is God. And the, the story goes that uh, Arius, who actually is uh, credited with the, uh, the terrible Arian heresy, uh, 
that Jesus is not God, maybe God's most exalted creature who could bring about redemption somehow, but that he was not actually one in being with the Father. And the story is that out of love for Christ and love for the Trinity, that St. Nicholas, uh, depends on how you hear the story, slapped or punched Arius (laughs) during the council. And because of that, I mean, sometimes you get memes where it's like an icon of St. Nicholas where it says, I've come to give away presents and punch heretics and I'm all out of presents, right? And so we have this story where St. Nicholas is actually imprisoned because of this action and he loses his symbols of being a bishop. And so he is imprisoned for punching a heretic. And uh, the story is that Jesus and Mary appear to Nicholas while he's imprisoned in a vision and ask him why he's there. And he says, because of love of you, Lord. And so he has such a deep love for Jesus as the eternal son of God, but as the Trinity, that this this life-giving, selfless love that God is, that God is a family of self-giving love, that he would go to such lengths as secretly giving away this money. So because he believed in a God who is self-gift, that he would make a self-gift of himself by giving away his inheritance to pay for this family that he doesn't really know. So I tie those two stories together that he has such a deep love for the Trinity and because of that is ready to become a self-gift himself and was even ready to be martyred at one point in his life. So St. Nicholas, you cannot separate those two stories, the cute story of saving those three daughters, but also the powerful story of, of defending the Uh, Holy Trinity, even at the risk of his own reputation. And whenever I think about St. Nicholas, I often think now to the book series, if you're into fantasy and it's a neat spin on Catholic fantasy as well, from St. George to many of the saints, including St. Nicholas is not a main character, but it plays a main part intertwined in the series as the Sword and Serpent series about Mm St. George. It's fantastic. But one of the things that I was thinking about is that there's the legend that he can bilocate, which is part of the story behind Santa Claus and being able to deliver Christmas gifts all over the world is that the stories go that he can bilocate. And what's so incredible is, again, when we make this connection of how Santa Claus is St. Nicholas, saints historically have bilocated. We know this. We know this is part of the miraculous story of the saints who have gone before us. And so sometimes when there seems these incredible stories that we hear, and the reality is, is that they're so interconnected to our Catholic faith and the miraculous work that is work that is done in Christ's saints. Yeah, and to tie it to another great fantasy story uh, is C.S. Lewis's uh, Chronicles of Narnia, and especially in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Uh, he describes him as Father Christmas, so it's not specifically St. Nicholas, but he does give that, you know, what is traditionally the image of Santa Claus uh, that we can tie to St. Nicholas. And he describes him as, you know, he doesn't look fake uh, like the like we usually see Santa Claus, but he was more real than anything else. His beard was like a, a foaming waterfall. His his laugh was the jolliest thing they'd ever heard. And I just love this the reality of Saint Nicholas as compared to you know the Santa Claus that we see on holiday cards and Coca Cola ads and whatever it is. To remember, this was a this is a real man. He is still alive as a saint, and maybe even more real and more loving than we are even today. I posted a link on social media as well to the punching of St. Nicholas 
toward Arius at the Council of Nicaea. Now, I do want to throw in there because I know I'm going to get that email or those comments of, oh, hey, uh, we don't want to promote violence. I always get it. But I do think it's interesting that we've lost an element of the faith. And again, this isn't me condoning violence, but where we're so passionate about our faith, we're willing to be people of action. And so whether it's true or not what happened at the Council of Nicaea, I do think over and over again, the the theme that continues to be tied in from the famous story of St. Nicholas giving that dowry to the family for the three daughters so they're not sold into slavery and prostitution to the story of him punching Arian in the face and being in prison and how at the end of the day his life was embodied by sacrificial love to the point that he was willing to courageously step out and do things that were countercultural or uncomfortable or in secret and as you said, not expect thanks for those things he didn't. I think that's the hard part during the Christmas season. Sometimes there's that expectation. Look at all these things I did for you. You know, I'm giving you gifts. I'm throwing these parties. I'm being generous. And we like the accolades, yet that is not what embodies the life of a saint. Yeah, and I I would encourage everyone to discern, do you want to receive or do you want to give? And do you trust that if you give away that you'll receive? Like, I, it's not foolproof, but in my experience, when I try to be generous with the money that I have, like sometimes more will come my way. And I say, okay, well, you know, time to try to be generous with that too. And it's, you know, God will open those floodgates uh, as long as we're not doing it just to, uh, to make money, more money for ourselves and, and to be comfortable. But I, I find over and over again that the more generous I am, the more God gives me to be generous with, and especially in the spiritual life more than the material life. But, you know, it's almost, you know, don't test God, but trust God that he will make that happen. What things would you recommend for parents who are trying to help their kids understand the great Catholic tradition between Santa Claus and St. Nicholas? Oh, what would you encourage? Oh, um, there are so many great resources out there. I'm thinking about like the, the, the Daughters of St. Paul have this, this great book called Cello et Tintera, which tells the stories of so many saints uh, throughout the year. But to get to know those stories of the saints, and I would just start with you know, a little history lesson on, on who St. Nicholas is, where he's from, so they can see him as a real person and not just as a cartoon. Mm, I love that. And I'm just looking up this book. I remember hearing about it, but I have not seen it yet in Chilo et Tintera of all the saints. St. Nicholas is in there. And I remember you actually showed it to me a few months back. Yeah. The illustration is absolutely beautiful. So we'll post the link on social media as well to that book. A great resource and also a great Catholic gift idea this year. My daughter loves books. I'm reminding everyone because we have Christmas and two birthdays coming up all within about a week and a half of each other. So I appreciate the books and the activities a little more than too many toys in our home. (laughs) And I actually, by the way, Father Tim, I hear that from a lot of parents where they get a little anxious about all the toys uh, during the Christmas season. So maybe get a little creative with some of those gifts that can be a book and activity and and oriented toward an experience too, because I, I hear more and more so as people have less space in their homes and want to encourage um, not so much that material side of Christmas, that, that we give those gifts in that way as well. So just, just an idea and food for thought. And that's been Father Tim Grumbuck here on Trending with Tim Ray. Father Tim, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm looking forward to seeing you this weekend. A big plug again. Uh, can you share a little bit if, those, if people haven't been with us to hear about the Catholic Advent Acres Market coming up. Yeah, I, I, again, it's a, a preparing ourselves for Advent 
and getting together with a lot of other really creative Catholics, but also um, people who are have great families, but also, you know, it's not limited to families. And I'm, I'm hoping that we can have some of my students from Alamany come to help out and serve. And so it'd be great speakers, great activities. It's just to prepare ourselves as a community so we don't feel like we're doing it by ourselves, uh, this journey of Advent towards Christmas. And a shout out, there will be many people we love here on Trending from Father Tim Grumbach there in person to Michael Gasparro, the licensed marriage and family therapist who's on the front line addressing the gender crisis, but he's also a very talented musician. He'll be there performing on the stage. There will be St. Story Corners about St. Juan Diego and St. Lucy and St. Nicholas. So this is great fun for the whole family. Neat time to come together, as you said, Father Tim, as Catholics this Saturday and Sherman Oak. So check out the website catholicmaker.com. We've tagged it on social media as well as in the episode notes. Father Tim, thank you so much for joining us. We've tagged you on social media if you want to follow him and his great work. I'll be right back here on Trending to share great news as we're rounding off the year to hear what happened with the change of overturning Roe versus Wade and the lives that we know are being saved. together of all of my favorite Advent hymns, but I got canceled on YouTube, and that didn't just mean that all of our content from trending was canceled, but even the playlists I made privately for myself to enjoy are completely gone uh, from music to video, so it's the downfall of being canceled there. But by the way, this is your reminder, they might cancel us in places such as YouTube and others, but this is why we own over 200 radio stations across the nation. So if you've not supported Relevant Radio this year, I know we're coming up on the end of the year, and you can still make a tax-deductible donation to Relevant Radio and support the work we're doing to continue to share the good news of Christ the world, especially this Advent season. So you can always donate any time of the year, not just when we're asking during our pledge drives every quarter. So head over to relevantradio.com if you feel so inclined. I want to share with you really great news that came out over the Thanksgiving weekend. But as you know, I was very sick with my girls and I wasn't with you all of last week. And I didn't have the opportunity to discuss it yet. And that is the fantastic news of a secular study. I share this, a secular non-pro-life. Actually, it had a pro-abortion spin to it. The study came out showing that just within the first six months of 2023, that because of the overturning of Roe versus Wade in 2022, an estimated 32,000 babies' lives were saved from abortion. That's right. In just six months, the beginning of this year, 
Over 32,000 babies' lives were saved from abortion. The study was done by the Institute of Labor Economics, and they were predominantly relying on data from the CDC. Now, in that, what they did is they looked at the birth rates in every single state between 2005 and 2023. And what we saw is a 2.3% rise in states with laws protecting babies in the womb. And this is incredible news because I have to be frank with you, a lot of the stories and information I've been hearing from many people with boots in the ground involved in pro-life communities such as L.A., California, such as places such as Florida in Texas, is that even though access to abortion has decreased in many areas, women are doing two things. They're ordering over-the-counter over the via the Internet abortion pills, which make up for almost 60% of all abortions today, or they're traveling out of state. But what this research really showed was very intriguing. Now, it was used to make a pro-abortion argument, but what it shows is that when access to abortion decreases, the number of babies who are born increase. Now, here's the deal. Listen to this. Although we may not have seen yet, per se, and I'm sure it has been a change in some lives, although we have not seen yet a change in the culture surrounding attitudes about sexuality and bringing new life into this world, I'm sure that it is influencing some people to reconsider their life choices. But what we see is that when access to abortion decreases, the number of babies born increases. And when you continue to see babies born increase, even in less than ideal circumstances, even in unplanned and surprising circumstances, people begin to think twice about the conduct they engage in with their bodies that leads to new life. And I think that's the truth of the matter. And so if we want to see a culture where abortion is unthinkable, we need to continue to fight to make sure that abortion is inaccessible. Here's what the study pointed to. Essentially, we have 14 states with a strong, strong pro-baby laws that protect babies in the womb in most circumstances. We need to make it so that it's in all circumstances. But here's the deal. What it shows is that at the end of the day, really less than one in four women have been impacted by the overturning Roe versus Wade in various states changing their laws on abortion. What it's led to is that because of that, less than one out of four women have less access than they did to abortion. But those women who do have less access to abortion went from having a 43-minute long drive in order to obtain an abortion, and that's just one way, to one way having a drive that was over 330 Sorry, I meant miles. 43 miles to 330 miles. That's a big difference. So just to clarify there, what's happened essentially is that only one in four women have had a change in access to abortion because of the laws where they don't have an abortion clinic nearby them that gives them access to killing their babies. Before, for some women, it was an average of 43 miles in some of these areas. Now it's 330. So what are we seeing? In states that are strongly, strongly protecting life and have a broader distance to cover and don't have bordering radically pro-abortion states that are bordering them with absolute access, unfettered access on the edges of their states, we're actually seeing a significant decline in abortion to the point of 32,000 babies' lives being saved. 
That's fantastic news. What I see when I hear that statement that 32,000 babies were saved in just the first six months of this year in pro-life states, what I see from reading that is hope. Hope for women who have been told that they can't have their children, that they will be left by the man who is the father, that they can't bring a child into this world in less than ideal circumstances. All of these lies that I have seen firsthand for years women are being told. I worked for five years, over five years in crisis pregnancy centers. I saw woman after woman with her unique circumstances that led her to the doors of our crisis pregnancy centers. For years, I've sidewalk counseled, less now than I did in the past, but sidewalk counseling, I saw these women, each of them with their individual stories. No one ever actually really wanted to have an abortion. You had the woman who was there because of circumstances, life circumstances, that led her to believe that she had no choice. You had women who were told and brainwashed to believe that abortion was the only way to get ahead in life or even to continue their life. Literally, girls are being told today, abortion or die. Abortion or death. It's the death of the woman if you don't have access to abortion. But then there's also another group of women. And I think that it's key that we recognize them. Women who have maybe been led to believe that they want that abortion, but I see each time when they walk in that door that they have been so pressured into the idea of abortion, whether of their own volition or others, that they're disconnecting from their child. They're disassociating from the person within them, that they're caring, that they're housing, that they're nourishing, that they're protecting. And often that's the hardest woman to reach. It's the most devastating woman to reach when you're standing in front of that abortion clinic because nothing you say will get her to turn and look, to listen, to even flinch at some of what you might say as you say, your child has fingers and toes and a heartbeat. Picture looking at your baby when she's so non-responsive to every little thing that's said about her child. She is so disconnected from that baby as she's walking through the doors. That's one type of woman, but most of the women going in we're led to believe that they have no other choices other than because of their circumstances, abortion, or that they believe they've been taught that abortion is necessary to live and survive and thrive as a today. I share this because what this study shows and seeing those three type of women is that access to abortion, when it is taken away, when distance becomes a problem, leads to lives being saved. And lives being saved leads to a change in how we conduct our bodies with one another that can lead to the creation of new human life. And so here's my challenge to you. It's a clear and it's a simple strategy that the pro-life movement has been working on for these last number of decades, especially before Roe versus Wade and again today. This is why people in the Midwest and toward the center of the country for years have been saying, well, I moved to the West Coast or to the East Coast because I wanted greater access to abortion. We didn't have it in my community. So years before Roe versus Wade was overturned in places that didn't have abortion clinics because of people like you who stood up and spoke up to shut down their local abortion clinic, to expose the barbarism, the lack of proper medical expertise, lack of proper medical standards, the harmfulness to women, 
people like you have helped to shut down local abortion clinics. I helped many years ago in running 40 Days for Life campaigns in San Diego County. And I will never forget the day we saw one of those abortion clinics that I had had the honor to be able to be side by side with other people on the sidewalk in front of praying for 24 hours a day. We saw it closed. Why? Because we fought within the community at that time in San Diego to shut down that abortion clinic, to expose the horrific things that were happening to women, to expose the malpractice, the fact that some people didn't even have medical licenses to practice. This is what happens when we close an abortion clinic, when we expose the barbaric behavior, access to abortion decreases. And what was seen with the overturning of Roe versus Wade that allowed for greater legal restrictions on abortion to protect babies, what we saw as the statistics are showing in this study by the Institute of Labor and Economics is that an estimated 32,000 lives were saved from abortion in the first six months of the year. That's cause for celebration. I know in some states that are radically pro-abortion, they're pushing harder and faster and earlier to obtain access to abortion. But there are lives that are being saved. And the key thing that changes everything is access. So focus on decreasing access to abortion in your community by exposing what's happening, by standing in front of that abortion clinic and praying fervently for an end to abortion, praying for and smiling at those women as they consider this season, season right before Christmas, having an abortion. Intervene and bring hope to those people who are in despair and darkness. You're listening to Trending with Timory here on Relevant Radio. Thanks for being with me. Up next is Father Rocky for the Family Rosary Across America. This is Timory from Trending with Timory. Thursday, we'll be joined by a licensed marriage and family therapist taking your marriage and family questions. What's going on in your family and marriage? We'd love to hear from you and give a keen Catholic take. Also, we'll dive into how we can discover sacrificial love within our homes. It's also the Advent season, so we are diving into the Christmas novena and the theme of hope for this first week of Advent. Join me 6 p.m. Central on Relevant Radio or the Relevant Radio app.